everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Cabot Cove Gazette, Jessica Fletcher's favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Bridget Keys, And I'm TJ West. And we are talking today about Season 3, Episode 6, Dead Man's Gold. I will go ahead and leap in and do the summary. Um, so this is a pretty good episode, in my opinion. It's a Cabot Cove episode. We know how much I love to spend time in Cabot Cove. But... We have in this episode Leslie Nielsen, who guest stars as David Everett, who is apparently a long-lost love of Jessica's, from what we can gather, who comes back and is trying to find a treasure ship that is supposedly sunk off of the shore of Cabot Cove in order to take care of some of his debts, because he's in debt with a you know, loan shark and all that stuff. However, he brings along a little crew with him full of annoying young people who I f- whose names I can't remember, so I'm... Who cares, anyway? I was going to say, who cares? I'm not watching this episode for them. But one of them ends up dead. And then it turns out that one of the other ones did it because she felt looked down upon by the... I don't know. It's a whole thing. We'll get to how anticlimactic I found the murder plot. And while all of that is going on and Jessica's trying to figure out who did it, she's contending with her residual feelings for her old flame, who is quite dashing and lovely. And I'm going to wax poetic about that in a moment. And Bridget's going to take me to task for it because we very vociferously disagree about this particular character. So that's a good, that's, that's the plot. (laughs) Okay. That's okay. So that's the jumping off point. All right. All right. So it's the return of Leslie Nielsen who we saw in my Johnny lays over the ocean as the sympathetic ship's captain who, flirted with Jessica, had a Mm -hmm. little, not quite a romance, but there was definitely a spark between them. And the spark is very much still there now that he's playing a totally different character. And we're all just going to pretend that um, he doesn't already know Jess from another episode. Right. And I actually teach, I'll tell you how I feel about him in a second, but I actually did love his arrival scene. (laughs) So we get, you know, like Seth and Jess walking down the street arm in arm. And then this, and Amos is giving Seth a parking ticket and Seth goes to yell at him. Because of course he does. Of course he's like, I can park anywhere I want. I'm Seth and you're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Even though he's clearly parked in front of a fire hydrant. He's still parked in front of a fire hydrant, which is illegal. And Amos is the sheriff. He has to do what the sheriff says. And he's like, no, because he's Amos. I'll just yell at him. And while that's happening, this guy shows up and says, Jesse McGill. And then kisses which her. Which catches everyone's attention, of course. And then they kiss full on the lips. And you th- you would think that Amos and Seth were going to die from shock over this. It's a great entrance scene. It is. And I will say that of all Jessica's potential paramours, this is the one that feels the most sincere. And I don't know if that's because I, I suspect it's just because there's so much just a, a chemistry between Leslie Nielsen and Angela Lansbury. Like, mm-hmm. they're just two phenomenal stars. Like, Leslie Nielsen is just so dashing. Like, I just can't get over how much I love him. Part of it's his voice. He has that really deep, rich, yes. really soothing male voice that, you know, susceptible little faggot I am I just love it like I just it's just like it hits that spot <laughs> I, I need a second to recover <laughs> don't write in he calls himself that he does not call anyone else that we in and and he is one so it's it's allowed I'm, I'm allowed I'm allowed <laughs> if you've heard my voice you know that I'm a faggot like that's not some sort of shock have we talked on listeners. air about your voice no. And about how both, uh, when I was, when I had a partner and your partner, when they listened to our first episode, they both were confused as to who I was co-hosting with. Well, my parents thought that I was you. Or no, I think it was even my partner thought that I was you. Well, as a friend, a friend of mine who I, I co-hosted another podcast with, 
a friend of them told them that I brought the queerness to the podcast because of my voice. So I, I, like I own it. So it's fine. There you go. Yeah. So maybe it's anyway, just... so Leslie Nielsen, by contrast, has a really deep, unctuous voice. <laughs> unctuous. That's a good word to describe it. Yes. It's just like there's something innately appealing about it. it. He is really charming. I will give you that. And I agree with you that he and Lansbury have sparks as actors. They have really good screen chemistry. And it's sort of curious to me because I, growing up, Leslie Nielsen from like shitty comedies. Right. Yeah, exactly. And um, he's actually really talented in drama. Like, I think he's better served in drama. Which so, so it's so curious to me that that was like my impression of him in the 80s because roles like this are fantastic for him. I know. But the problem is it's a great role because the guy is so bad. And that's why I can't get behind the idea of this romance. He lies all the time. He's devious. He's scheming. He's lying. He's using Jessica. And then ultimately she's like, oh, it's it, it's fine. I knew you weren't as bad as I suspected. Here's a hug. See you in a few years. Counterpoint. He is a modern day pirate. So he's sort of like, you know, a buccaneer, a, a sea dog, a, a rascal on the high seas. Oh, God. Like, you know, he's, yeah, he's just, he has that attitude of, you know, the devil may care flitting from one port to another kind of at it like just- well yeah and his backstory we're told he has like four ex-wives too right so that's part of his like free will and lifestyle he's a to put it in a parlance of a different era he's a rake yes he's a rake i mean that's what he is which jessica does call him on and she's like what what happened to all these women and he's like well they just wanted me for my money and then later she in the episode she's like are you sure it wasn't the other way around I have very poor judgment sometimes when it comes to the men I'm attracted to, so take what I have to say with a grain of salt in this regard. Clearly, so does Jessica, Teach. That's my point. <laughs> See, if Je- if it's good enough for Jessica, it's good enough for you and now, me. I Again, you know, last week I was really sort of struggling because I felt like Jessica was starting to become this different person who was um, maybe too much of a pushover. And this week, I don't know, like, she ca- she keeps catching him in lies. Or she is suspicious that something is a lie. And we as viewers Mm. are like, this guy's totally lying. Um, And she doesn't immediately call him on it. Now, that does feel authentic to Jessica. Like, she always waits for the opportune moment to reveal that she knows Mm -hmm. he lied to her. Very school teacherish in a way. But she, in the meantime, like, while she's waiting to sort of catch him or call him out, like, all of this stuff keeps happening, you know? And it starts out with little things, like, oh, my credit card's blocked, so I can't get a hotel. And he waits for her to invite her to stay there, which, of course, was his plan all along, right? And it, and so it just makes her seem like a pushover or it makes her seem like, mm-hmm. um, I guess, naive or uh, what's a, a sort of a victim in a way that I don't expect from her. And then at the end, she does, like, assert herself, but it's after 45 minutes of this guy, like, manipulating her. Mm. Well, it's funny that you say that, because I think that the episode acknowledges as much, because there's the, there's a scene where she's walking on the beach, on the cliffs, with Seth. And, of course, it probably goes without saying that Seth is Seth not okay hates with this dynamic. guy because he's jealous. He does hate this guy. It, like, his jealousy is palpable. <laughs> like, you can see it in every scene that he shares with JB after, after this guy's arrival. There's a scene where he comes to Jay's Jay's house and like Leslie Nielsen's character is in a bathrobe and he's basically asking like how are you enjoying your stay and like there's this this frisson of like frisson of like animosity like this yeah. very very thinly veiled distaste that he clearly doesn't like this guy both because I think he senses what is obvious to the rest of us that he's you know 
up to no good. He's an to put to use another old fashioned expression. He's a ne'er do well. Um, I'm full of old lady expressions <laughs> today. It's a little grace note for you out there on playing the drinking game, which we'll get to in a moment. Anyway, you know, he basically says to Jessica, you know, you keep saying you've known him for 35 years, but the truth is you haven't seen him for 35 years. It's been 35 years since you saw him last, and so therefore you don't actually know him because you don't know what he's been doing all this time that he's been gone. And I mean, obviously some of this comes from Seth's jealousy. I mean, he's horning in on his territory. You know, he Jessica's his. Like, you know, he's... He's taking this gay man's, you know, straight woman, you know, companion. Like, I too would be jealous in that circumstance. Uh, But I think it's also out of genuine concern for Jess. Like, he's concerned that she's letting herself be taken advantage of and willfully, like, turning a blind eye to something that is not okay. I think that his concern is, um, I think it's well-placed and I think it's a nice follow-up to the concern that she had over him just a few episodes ago in Unfinished Business when mm-hmm. she dropped everything to go look out for him. We now have him looking out for her. So mm-hmm. they, I think it's 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 just a lovely relationship that they have where I think I don't think they don't respect yes. each other. I think they absolutely respect each other and I think they absolutely think the other can take care of themselves. But they love each other so much that they want to be there, you know? Mm. Oh, absolutely. Like, does he really think, I guess my question is, does he really think that Jessica is so... Um, blind that she will really get in deep with this guy and really get into trouble financially, emotionally, whatever. I'm sure he doesn't because she's also Jessica, but he loves her so much that that's his worry, right? Right. And he's also worried, I think, that, you know, she, not just about, like, whether David is going to take advantage of her, but also whether he's committed the murder or is complicit somehow in the murder. Like, he's like, you know, you're usually, he doesn't say it in quite this way, but he's like, you're usually so clear-eyed about these things and I fear that you're yeah. letting your personal feelings and affection for this guy cloud your judgment uh, and not letting yeah. you see the truth that he might have actually been involved with this murder. Doesn't it kind of make you wish that he had been? A little bit. I mean, I I knew he wasn't just because I don't think that the episode itself is really all that concerned about the murder. Like the way that it's framed is kind of an afterthought like the real point of this episode is to give jessica a long lost romance and like to just sort of explore that part of her life which we don't always get to see very often particularly not in cabot cove like most of her amorous adventures take place elsewhere like when she encounters elsewhere Uh like when she runs into michael but this is you know interesting because it's it is someone from her past that is not connected you know to other um elements like that's part of this i think the reason seth is resentful is because he predates seth because as we know from you know the few episodes ago seth hasn't been in cabot cove for that long so he hasn't known jessica as long as this guy has technically speaking so you know there's a lot of past history there i mean plus of course the guy kisses her on the lips i feel like we did we kind of brush past that but that's a pretty big deal it's a huge deal we've never seen <laughs> I mean, jessica get kissed on the lips like that have we I don't think so. I mean, even I was... with Preston Giles, did he even kiss her like that? I don't even think so. Someone will post on social media and correct us if we're right. wrong. I, was, I mean, I gotta say, like, I, I mean, not only was I taken aback by the fact that he kissed her on the lips, I was taken aback by her response. Like, I would normally have expected... She liked it. Yeah, I was gonna say, I would normally expect Jessica to be like, excuse me, like, how, how dare you take advantage, sir? But in reality, it was like, she didn't even raise an objection. And as you say, it was clear she actually enjoyed this experience. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Uh, 
I did not find anything in Lane's Brace archives specific to this episode. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that while Jessica might have liked it, I bet Lansbury hated this episode because she was adamant that Jessica not get entangled with people because Jessica is supposed to be this strong, independent role model of a woman. Right. And I think that's part of the reason I don't like this episode is because I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's so bad. It's so obvious he's bad. And why are you? And she, she really, Lansbury is such a talented actor. She like literally has stars in her eyes. Like her eyes look foggy and hazy and full of like lust and love, you know? It's okay for JB to have feelings and had to have deep rooted, like long. Yeah, but not with this guy. Come on. Like Michael Haggerty, that's one oh, thing. Boo, because boo, he does boo. lie to her all the time yeah. and take advantage of her, but only for the sake of good. Oh, this see, guy's completely self serving. I knew this was going to come up, and I've been preparing myself for the last 24 hours since I watched this episode because I knew you were going to bring up Haggerty, and I knew you were going to go to bat for that. Oh, really? I didn't know I was going to bring up Haggerty. I knew you were going to bring that up, and I knew because that was my first thought was like, Bridget is going to mention Haggerty and how she loves their dynamic and blah, 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 blah. I hate it and have always hated it. And I don't like Haggerty. Okay. But my point is that he is at least when he lies to her, it's for a greater good. This guy is entirely self-serving. So? So which would you rather Jessica fall for? The noble liar who's saving the world from... First of all, I would disagree that everything that David does is for self-serving. Like, I think that you're right, that he is, as I said, a ne'er-do-well and a rake and, you know, takes advantage of people. But I don't think that... I do think that he has genuine feelings for Jessica. Like, that I'm not in doubt about. So I think that whatever his other personality flaws, and as glaring as they might be, I do think he has genuine feelings for Jess. I'll tell you how uh, this episode feels to me, Teach. I feel like the fact that his name is David is not coincidental um, because the name of the guy in Lovers and Other Killers was also Mm. David. And in both cases, she is charmed, a little bit seduced, a little bit suspicious. And it really takes her time to Mm. parse out how she feels. And in both cases, she's like, you are lying to me and you are not to be trusted. And there's this sort of, mm-hmm. uh, she just turns into such a straight girl this episode. Ugh. So she ends up where you want her to be. So what's the problem? <laughs> anyway, the other interesting thing to me is that um, you framed this as a Cabot Cove episode. And it's true that it's set in Cabot Cove and we do have Seth and Amos, but it's not a Cabot Cove episode in the sense that like don't have the rest of the townspeople. Mm. The story isn't about the town. Like it just happens to be a ship that's in the harbor. And we learn later it's not actually even in the harbor. Right. It's somewhere out there, like out in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have the quintessential Cabot Cove cozy structure either. So um, to me, it, it, it doesn't feel like a Cabot Cove episode in that sense. Right. And I mean, it's, you know, none of the victims are, Cabot Coveites, none of the people on the ship, yeah, or, like or that the the crew that David hires. I mean, that was true with like the second episode, um, Deadly Lady, right? It was about right. like the That's the true. family who'd like gotten wind swept into town, but it, it, there was like a a cozy structure to it that I just I don't feel here. And I think the the, the divers, like the young, you call them the young kids, they're like despicable. They're like Jessica is so gracious; she invites them all to her. She just have no idea who these people are. She invites them all to her house for dinner with no notice, right? She's going to host a dinner party for like five people with no notice. And they get like wasted and they're like sloppy drunk in her living room. Yeah. And like screaming at each other. I'm like, ugh. 
Yeah. Like I said, I mean, maybe it's just my own distaste. I mean, well, for one thing, they're terrible actors. Like, I got to be blunt. Like, they're just, they're just terrible. Like, that, that, I know that, you know, it wouldn't be so noticeable if everyone else around them wasn't so good. Like, if we didn't have Seth and Amos and, you know, Leslie Nielsen and, and of course, Jessica, like, it wouldn't be so conspicuous. But my God, they're awful. They're really awful. Like, they're from, like, they're like from a bad soap opera. Like, oh, well, yeah, yeah. Not, I mean, not even, I, I, that's an insult to soap operas. Like, it a, at least a soap opera has its own vernacular and its own kind of like it style. Has a very stylized acting that's particular to it, but not necessarily bad. Right. These are just, these are just people who strike me as people who needed a job. Oh, no. And this was like, <laughs> they're like, you know where I'm going with this. They're like Howards. They're like a whole room full of Howards oh, no. from the last you episode. Stop. Picking on Howard. Howard is a victim of his generation. I will stand by this. And like Howard, they're losers. I mean, both his kids. Do you want to know where Howard is right now today in 2023? Howard has divorced Victoria, although they are very good friends. You could even say they're like Seth and Jessica-like, okay? And Howard is living his full true life self. And I bet you he's marching in drag in the parade every year. And that means that everyone is gay and y'all need to take a drink if you're playing the game. No, I... I don't think Howard is gay. He was far too uncomfortable in drag. Like if if he, if, it, if that episode had felt like he was living his authentic self, I would agree. But it's clear just how much he does not. The only like one who was living their authentic self in that episode was the ching comedian drummer. Yeah, living so, his greatest life. So you know, much as I'm willing to find gay characters wherever we look, <laughs> at, as they say on the on the Twitter, sometimes that ain't it, Chief. Like. Okay, I want to talk about some other things, though. I want to talk about that same dinner party. Um, Like, just to reiterate, I think, you know, like, David raids Jessica's cupboards for champagne without asking. And then she is like, oh, what a wonderful idea. Which makes me very angry at her. And then while that's happening, some one of the punks says to Jessica, my uncle says you're some kind of writer. I've seen your typewriter. It's prehistoric. And then he tries to sell her some software that comes pre-programmed with novel plots tj i mean it felt very chat gpt or whatever the fuck that ai is right that's what i was thinking (laughs) of too like like, wow like like, this this is like the 80s version of ai (laughs) right i was like tj and i are gonna write a book using only ai and get rich that's our plan and it was something it gives you everything from i think he said shakespeare to Sidney sheldon which was an interesting run of western literary history so and i mean but the murder itself just feels very like it's I mean, oh, we should talk about what actually it, happens because we're like way into this episode. We haven't even talked about it. I know. We're already 20 minutes in. We haven't even <laughs> but that's because I think, I mean, so one of these young people. The extra drunk one. Right. Is, has a fight with one of the other. And I'm only using their, because I don't, their names are so. Their names are insignificant <laughs> to our purposes. So she ends up dead. They think it's a hit and run because there's broken headlight glass. So, and she's been run over. But as it turns out. What and she, no skid marks. But what it turns out is that someone bashed her in the head with a blunt object and all of this was done because one of the other members of the diving team felt belittled and if she killed her then when they found the treasure they would all get more of a share i don't know the whole thing was just like well because the the i mean this was the this is the only thing i find interesting about this episode is that they've all entered into this partnership agreement about diving for the treasure and the the agreement is arranged based on survivorship so in if you die, I get your money and my money right? instead of Aaron getting your half. And so, of course, that's just such an Agatha Christie setup. Of course, they're going to start bumping each other off, right? This is 
never get into a contract like that, kids. Like, you're just asking for murder. Exactly. That part I did find interesting. Yeah, I and like the, the whole, I don't know, the, the, the whole revelation, like she framed this, she, she, so to make matters even more unnecessarily complicated, she tried to frame one of the other people by like, not only did she kill this young person, she then went and broke the headlight of the car of one of the other people, took the glass, all of it, meticulously gathered it up, which if you've ever tried to gather up broken glass, you know that it's physically impossible. That is physically impossible. That's not Takes happening. Back to the scene of the accident and lose it there. So not only is that an incredibly stupid way of trying to like frame it as a hit and run, she, I, this, the whole thing just feels rather contrived. And I mean, I know that's not you know pretty true of many murder short episodes, but I would have been more forgiving of it if it had felt more organic to the rest of it. But it was just like I don't really care. Like the only thing I care about in this episode is Jessica's relationship with David. Well, I don't think we're supposed to care about the victim or the actual murderer, but what we are supposed to care about is the question mark hanging over whether David could have been right the murderer, right? Like that, whoever whoever was killed, however they were killed, doesn't matter. It's like, is this guy that Jessica is falling for, again, possibly a murderer? Because we see her in bed late at night, to our point, mm. critiqued the book a couple of episodes ago, saying she was early to bed like this is an example we see her in bed working on her novel very late at night and she hears david creep out of the house so he could have been the murderer right right but just but but the thing is is like plot wise there's not really much of a suggestion that he did do it because he's never the most credible suspect isn't david it's one of the other members of the like the cadre that he recruits Mm -hmm. to take on the ship so it's not even like it's not even like he's ever really the suspect except you know in a very vague sense but none of the evidence points to him and then he doesn't really have a motive so i don't know like it just like the whole murder plot i was just kind of left me feeling like (laughs) plus the woman who did it she's just like i did it for us baby and i was just like oh i just felt my face melting (laughs) straight girls i'm telling you I mean, it is an interesting, par- now that you say that, there is an interesting parallel to, like, you know, she's willing to do it for her, you know, hobby, even though, of course, he shows no desire to murder one of the other members of their of their group. And himself almost ends up dead anyway <laughs> because of her meddling with the diving thing. I don't know. That's a whole plot that doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. But Okay, but listen, let's get to the important stuff, which is that um, as much as I did not like the murder victim, like she's really a horrible person, uh, nothing much likable there. Um, she's wearing the night she dies at the dinner party at Jessica's house. She's wearing this amazing hot pink jumpsuit with a like a teal belt and silver pumps, and that's worth knowing. Yeah, and Jessica's in nice fashion in this episode too. Like she has that episode where she's, it's like a cream cutter like blouse with like that nice scarf that she's wearing. Like, ooh, and David comes up to her and is like adjusting the neckline of oh, the scarf. Oh, that's And then right. Amos walks in and thinks they're like kissing or something. I'm glad you brought that up because that is an excellent moment. Like it is just it is pitch perfect. Like you can see how everyone's like, "What is happening with Jessica?" Right? What is happening? <laughs> Yeah, I hated it. I was like, get your hands off Jessica Fletcher. I was like, ooh, I was all a tremble. <laughs> See, we're, and this coming from someone who writes romance. Like, I was, I, like, like, how? Yeah, it, that's true. It's yeah. like being a chef, but not liking food. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, 
You know what? In um in that you know it's funny you mentioned that episode because or that outfit because I noticed that later in the day she is wearing that outfit when she goes to meet Amos um to look over the crime scene mm-hmm. and she puts on like this really dumpy khaki colored jacket over it and kind of ruins it. Yes, I saw but that. But then they're looking at the ground to find the broken glass and look for the skid marks and we get a close up of her shoes which we haven't seen in a long time. J B Fletcher. Shoe fetishist. Or Bridget Keys shoe fetishist. <laughs> Y'all be real drunk now. So um <laughs> she um she's wearing these like cream colored espadrilles teach and I don't know if they were just like location shooting for too long that day or what, but they're really dirty and it caught my attention because you could have just put her in some shoes that wouldn't get dirty. But now that you've shown me a close-up of her dirty shoes, it like makes me think all these things. Like, why is Jessica wearing dirty shoes? Why'd she pick those shoes? Or was that just a wardrobe accident? Or Right? And like, I can't help like getting taken out of the scene to wonder about this just because why are her shoes so dirty? Yeah, this is why continuity matters. Like, you know, continuity checks. Yeah. So that you're, it doesn't disturb the illusion yeah. of what you're seeing. Yeah. So the um, we should explain the drinking that we keep referencing. Do you want to explain it? I will. So we, you know, like all 21st century podcasts have our own Facebook page, which many of you have commented on. And we love hearing from all of you. Please like, like and follow if you haven't already. We truly love engaging with all of you. And, and you guys crack us up many times, including most recently, where a user commented that there was a drink. That there's now been a drinking game invented. And when you follow along with Cabot Cove Gazette, if you hear us, I will say, for example, Grace Note, Bridget will call me Teej, we'll speculate about someone being gay, referencing Jessica Fletcher's shoe fetishist. Those are all causes to drink. So if you haven't already, check out the post on Facebook, and we'll make it a big thing here. Oh, and you have to mention Appalachia, which we I haven't mentioned Appalachia in a while, so I haven't had a reason to. And um, referencing Angela Lansbury's real life and career, which we do frequently, because I think that's part of our job. I don't think that's weird, but... The other thing is, um, we frequently complain that a plot makes no sense, and I think there's probably not a single episode where we don't make that comment. Well, this one makes sense, I suppose, but it's not particularly interesting, like the murder plot. There you go, there you go. So shout out to Eleanor Connor. Thank you so much for inventing the Cabot Cove Gazette drinking game. We hope you all play along, but don't drink and drive. And uh, do not drink by raiding champagne out of Jessica's cabinets without asking questions. Right, or else she'll end up being investigated by Amos for a potential hit and run. <laughs> so the last thing I wanted to mention is, is that not only, I mean, I love David and I think he's great and I, want, I would Ain't run it. away with him in a heart. I would run away with him in a heartbeat if it were me. Good. Get him away from Jessica. But one thing that really did irk me was that he took out a non-circulatable book from the library. <laughs> like that really chaffed me like or chafed me like that was that was almost a bridge too far and i mean it was clearly scandalous for jb who's like you can't take that book out of it's a history of cabot coach like well first of all why is the history of cabot Cove not circulating you'd think they would want people to read about it unless it's some like historic volume it's a reference book you got it they only have the one copy and it's a reference book. i suppose you gotta go to the library to read it yes i mean so you know she's like an encyclopedia i guess yeah so she's quite scandalized that he is you know taken this non-circulating so. book out of the library. <laughs> I was also quite dismayed. Um, I mean, I'm not very, I'm very lax when it comes to returning library books myself, because now my library doesn't charge fees to return books late. So that, that's a whole different subject. But I was just like, dude, you literally just stole a book from the library. Like That should have told you everything you need to know. I really wish, Jamie, I wish we had, I was hoping 
we would have a scene of Jessica returning it to the library. That would have made me feel better. But I will just assume that being the conscientious. Oh no, she made him do it. You know, she marched him over there and watched him put it. Back yeah, because so being the conscientious kind of co-citizen she is, I have no doubt that it is now safely ensconced where it belongs in the Cabot Cove Library. And which reminds me, libraries are very good public goods. So please, if you can't support your local library. Yeah, we love librarians. Librarians are such heroes. I agree. I love libraries. I just got, I have a whole stack from my, but anyway, we don't need to hear about my personal life. No, we don't. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Cabot Cove Gazette. I'm Bridget Keith. And I'm TJ West. We'll catch you next time. Our theme song is Reaching the Sky by Alexander Nakarada, used under Creative Commons license. You can find us on social media. We are the Cabot Cove Gazette on Facebook and at Cove Gazette on Instagram and Twitter.